Welcome everyone to Plugged and Unplanned. It's Tony Nash. I'm the CEO of Booktopia here with you again with another author. But it's a bit different this time. Not someone who likes, likes to write books, but someone who likes to lead companies and who has written a book. And I love that because being a CEO talking to another CEO, we're going to get a different insight into how someone else runs a company other than myself. So today, Colleen Callender, Leader by Design is her book subtitled Empowered to Lead with Confidence in Business and in Life. Welcome to the show, Colleen. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Tony. Now you've written a book. So what would your English English teacher say to you today? Saying, I always knew you were going to write a book? Or would it be like, oh my God, he wrote a book. Does it feel a bit weird saying author on your business card now? Yes, well, it actually does. And, you know, I was just saying to you behind the scenes that, you know, to what my book just hit the stores last week and um, I very, you know, secretly walked into my local store in, in Brighton to see if it was there. And it was quite a surreal moment, um, you know, to see your book sitting there on the shelf and, uh, and, and to see myself sitting there on the shelf. But, you know, particularly after the journey I've been on writing the book, um, it, it, was, it was really quite amazing. And, uh, and, and it was a, a real proud moment, I suppose. It's a book's been something that's been on my bucket list for a long time. And, um, you know, being a CEO, as you know, life's extremely busy. Uh, I, I was, you know, I've been a CEO for 30, the past 13 years and I have a family and I have all other, other sorts of projects, which we'll probably touch on today. But, um, you know, writing a book was something I've always wanted to do. And, and my real sort of reason for that was because I wanted to share my story. Um, I wanted to um, empower and inspire women, as it says on the on the cover. Um, but really, my, my book's kind of in two parts. And the first part is, you know, this part autobiography where I share my journey from you know, leaving school at 16 to CEO and lots of things that happened in between. And, and one of those is, you know, how my upbringing shaped the woman and leader I am today. And, and my real goal, Tony, is to inspire and empower women to step up and have a voice and live with purpose and really believe in themselves and become the leaders they wanted to be and live with this real confidence that you know, we'll, we'll touch on today. Um, and I want them to embrace their superpower. And there's actually a chapter in my book that talks about superpowers. Um, so that was kind of part one. And part two was really that... I want my book to inspire organisations as well. I want organisations to embrace this new era of leadership that I keep talking about and one that I've been living in for a very long time, which is one of kindness and compassion and collaboration and trust and one that really puts people at the heart of everything we do and, and one that also encourages more women at the helm. And, you know, someone said to me the other day, you know, what's your mission now, Cole? What is it you want to do in life? And, you know, what's your purpose? And I said, my purpose is no different. Uh, you know, my purpose as a CEO and my mission was to inspire and engage and allow people to bring their best selves to work every day. And this next chapter in my life is exactly the same. I'm just doing it in a different forum. I'm doing it via my book and via speaking events and via podcasts like this one. And, you know, so it's my mission is exactly the same. And, you know, I put lots of tips and advice and things relevant to women and leaders of all generations in, in my book. And it doesn't really matter where you are, whether you're climbing the corporate ladder, whether you're a student, whether you're an entrepreneur, you know, there is something in that book 
uh, I hope for you or for everyone. Well, congratulations. I mean, the questions are actually bursting out of me at the moment. I have to organize my brain. So the big problem of being unplanned, of course, is that now I, I should have prioritized the list of questions. So Sports Girl is the company you led for 13 years. And when you think about that, you brought and what you brought to that company, I hate to say it, but it was a bit pioneering. You must have kind of felt you're on the earlier waves of where we are today. It must be, must be joyed seeing the transformation that we're seeing in society as we embrace the equal opportunities of all to lead, to manifest whatever they want. So do you think that you were at Sports Girl, you know, that made it easier for you to accomplish it at that time? Or, or could you have been at any other company or in any other industry? So I'm curious to know, was it easier or was it a bit harder because Sports Girl was such a, a successful company? Yes, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I so over I was with the Sports Girl Suzanne group for 20 years in total. So I joined them in 1999 and then the past 13 of those years, six of those years I was CEO at Suzanne and seven of those at Sports Girl, which is the last seven, so 13 in total in the same company. And and it's a really interesting question because I I think I mean my world was predominantly women it was predominantly female so in my business it was you know 95% female so um, that that was you know sort of a different element to obviously working in maybe an environment where there were you know more men in the environment so so that probably changed the dynamics but in saying that I also created and very consciously created an environment that I wanted to work in, an environment that I'd be happy for my children to work in, an environment that I wanted people to get, get up to every day and come and feel part of the bigger picture and feel inspired and empowered to do their best. And, um, you know, that takes a lot of work. Uh, you know, a lot of people ask about, you know, Cole, you know, you have this great reputation for creating a fabulous culture to work in. Um, you know, what's the magic recipe? You know, can I've had leaders say to me, Tony, you know, can you give me 15 minutes of your time? I'd really like to know about culture and what you created at Sports Girl. And I think, mm, I'm not quite sure I can give you the magic answer in 15 minutes because it's what I've dedicated my whole life to. Um, I can certainly give you some, you know, advice, uh, but it is what I've got up and done every single day of my life is created an environment where people want to turn up to, where people want to do their best, where people want to give you their blood, sweat and tears because they know that you're there to support them. You know, I talk about this circle of safety. You know, people won't take risks if they don't know, if they don't think there's someone there to support them when they do that. People are not going to speak up if they don't think anyone's going to listen. People are not going to step out of their comfort zone if they think I'm going to fail and I'm going to lose my job because I've done that. So creating this place where people get up and feel empowered and feel part of the big picture has been a huge part of my success. Now, I learned very on early on in my career that people were my biggest asset. And I think if leaders recognise that um, and really put their energy into people, uh, you know, I always say we don't we don't lead a company, we don't lead a project, we don't lead an organisation, we lead people. And if we can get more leaders thinking in that way, I think we're going to have much more successful companies and much more inspired and empowered people in this world. Hmm. I'm listening to, oh, have you heard of Brené Brown? Absolutely. She is amazing. Her message is incredible around vulnerability. I'm probably... It's, she's 
probably one of my favorite authors in, in terms of leadership and, and apart from you now, of course, uh-huh. Colleen, Brene, I mean, she likes, she calls you to account and in her book, dare to lead, she just talks about it's people, people, people. She says it quite a lot in the beginning of the book. We've all got to, particularly leaders and CEOs, we have to listen to the inflow of messages coming around. It's very pertinent for me to realize that. I think people who work here, they probably feel that I, I do that too. But my thing is, how can I be, how can I be doing things better than I have, than I have before? And so it's, it's really interesting to hear you say that. Now, I want to I wanna cross to something and get your candid response on this one. I was at a, at a dinner party last week and was talking to this woman who was very successful in business herself. And she said to me, you know why men are leading companies and they're on boards and all that? She said, they take more risks. I said, really? She said, you know, women, women that I've met, they are much more risk averse, family, personal things, blokes, they just put all the money on the line. And I was really curious. I, I never thought of it in that way because you talked about risk before. So how important is it then to all of us to consider that? Maybe the safety and risk or what you've been able to do in your leadership position. How do you mitigate your risk? How do you think about risk? Is that something women need to understand that if you want to accomplish or you have to really lead and succeed and build big organizations, you know, is an important component of it? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. And that conversation, I think, is an interesting one because I I actually do agree. I think that men are more risk-taking from my experience. I think we're we're a little bit more, um, you know, sort of, um, considered and um, and cons- and probably a bit more concise and a bit more a bit less risk taking. Now that doesn't mean we don't take risks, but I think we're a lot more considered in the way we do that. Um, I also think it comes back to a whole confidence piece, which I'm sure we'll get to today because that's a big chapter in my book. But you know, I have always encouraged women to take risk in my business, and that doesn't mean being silly. You know, that means that we think about what the risk is, what are the ramifications of that risk, what are the outcomes if it goes well. What are the outcomes if it doesn't go so well? So I do think that we probably take less risk, but I do think we take them in a much more considered planned way, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. I reckon blokes are more reckless. I I think so. (laughs) I think so. Sometimes that pays off and sometimes you crash and burn. And when you're taking everyone on the journey together with you, including the families that you go home to and you're, you're creating the income for yourself and for them to thrive and survive, that perhaps it's an important aspect to your success. I think risk mitigation, as we got bigger and bigger at Booktopia, there was, there was more at stake. There was more at stake. Therefore, your decision, your decisions, they're just much more considered. And that was really important. You talk about confidence. I'm keen and curious. So dive into that because just like always, I mean, this is not a spoiler. I want you to go out and buy Colleen's book, right? She's written a book that's in bookshops, hot off the press, so you can go in to your local bookshop or you can buy it at Booktopia. We don't care as long as you go out and buy it and be inspired. So confidence. What's your take on that? And how do you, how do you work with your team to instill that in them? Yeah. 
Confidence is a big one. Um, and, and I'll get to team. I might talk just a little about where that came from. And it is a chapter in my book. So each chapter, again, without giving too much away, because we want everyone to go and buy the book and get it in as many hands as we possibly can to change people's lives. But um, the part around confidence, when I started penning my book down, I was still at Sports Girl. And I, I love to, I love to write, I love to listen to podcasts. And whenever I hear something interesting, I, I just jot it in my journal. Um, and so I started just penning a few things around my book. And the first two chapters I started penning before I'd even spoken to anyone or, you know, I thought one day I'm going to write a book was the power of kindness and the power of leadership. They were the two things that really resonated with me as a leader. And so that was great. Then I actually, when I finished in my role and um, I, when I resigned and decided I was taking a year off, which actually never happened because uh, I filled my plate and made it spill over the top. But um, once I, when I did that, I started mentoring women and I started a mentor me program for women. And, in, and when I do business, there's also some men in there, but predominantly it's women. And Tony, one of the biggest things that I found when I was doing this mentoring was this lack of confidence in women. And I probably hadn't noticed it so much in my CEO world because I surrounded myself with my team and these women that I worked with every day and I instilled confidence in them. And I was a leader, as I said, that allowed people to shine and allowed people to take risks and, and, and built trust in, in the organisation. So I probably had my confidence blinkers on a little bit. So as soon as I left my CEO role and went into the real world, I, I found this huge lack of confidence in women that I was mentoring and coaching. And so all of a sudden, a chapter in my book became the power of confidence. And in fact, it's probably one of the biggest chapters in my book. So, you know, I, I, what I was finding was this lack of confidence is why, you know, people stay in jobs they hate. Uh, lack of confidence is why women stay in toxic relationships. Lack of confidence is why we don't put our hand up for promotions. So, you know, one of the things I, I talk in my book, and again, we're not giving too much away, but, you know, confidence starts with self. And so part of my mentoring program, my coaching program, and my book is how do we build real confidence? What holds us back? What are the myths around confidence? And I want women to live this life with confidence. And when we start to do that, when we start to live with this real confidence, that's really when the magic starts to happen. Mm. I love the word confidence because confidence for me has the word confide um, inside it to confide in someone. So it's, it's kind of like, how do you confide in yourself? What are you saying to yourself? How are you, how are you talking? What are you saying? And, and so confide really is, you know, whatever is going on in your brain, but within the word confide is the word con. So it's actually rubbish anyway. You want, if you want to go down the path of beating yourself up or you, you want to talk to yourself, talk yourself up and, and just you know, make, make yourself feel pumped, right? It's whatever you're saying to yourself. It's just a con anyway. That's how I look at confidence. So make it up. That's how, that's how it works. Absolutely. That is, it is so true. And it, it is, you know, it's, it's about talking to ourselves like our best friend. You know, it, it's about, you know, confidence starts with self. I, I always say that. Let's not look anywhere else for someone to build our confidence. Confidence has to start internally. 
And, you know, confidence is also contagious. There's a whole lot of tips in my book. Um, In fact, I think there's about 15 ways that, you know, we can build confidence. And, and, you know, one of them, just one of them, um, is, you know, confidence is contagious. You know, we need to surround ourselves with confident people, people that are going to talk positively, you know, use positive words, um, build each other up. You know, we think about when we're with a confident person um, and, and, and someone who's a positive person, how that makes us feel. You know, and negativity is exactly the same. When we hang around with negative people, then you know, that brings us down. So it's really important to surround ourselves with people that are you know, positive and, and confident because it actually rubs off off on us so yeah it's it's really really key mm, yeah well i hate to say it i mean with the year we just had <laughs> i mean it's been a bit con- bit contagious hasn't it so um the right kind of pandemic actually so i'm looking at the chapters in your book and i can see here you've got one the queen of people pleasing now my wife accuses me of being a people pleaser to the point that actually it really doesn't serve me so I'm thinking more about making sure that people are happy to, to the point that it's actually not really serving me. So I'm, I'm a bit curious about people pleasing and you're obviously the queen. So I should really ask you, what's your insight here? Self-promotion there, queen of people pleasing. Um, so, well, you know, Tony, during my childhood, I learned to become an expert in people pleasing and it stayed with me my whole life. And it actually is still with me. I just have to manage it differently. Um, and But what I learned over time is that being a people pleaser often serves other people really well, but it doesn't work out so well for the person who's doing all the pleasing all the time. And as people pleasers, and particularly women, um, but, you know, that's not confined to women. We, I know plenty of men that are people pleasers as well. But, you know, as women and people pleasers, we all, you know, we're putting others before self. Um, you know, we say yes to everything. And, you know, yes, I, I think can become this habit. It can become like a bit of an addiction. You know, it makes us feel needed and it makes us feel important and it makes us feel validated. And, you know, whether that be from a boss or a colleague or a parent or a friend, you know, we are we are people seeking approval from others. And, you know, in my book, I talk about I don't want women to seek approval from others, just like I don't want them to look elsewhere for confidence. I want them to seek approval from the only person that matters, which is themselves. I want them to seek validation from themselves. You know, um, that's where we that's where we start to build our real, real confidence. Um, You know, it's I I would want to please my parents. You know, that was my motivation. And even still to this day, you know, and I'm 50 now, it's still my motivation to please my parents. You know, I I don't need them to tell me. I just need to know that I'm pleasing them, you know, and and pleasing, being a people pleaser can really have dramatic effects on people. And it certainly did for me. You know, I had burnout in 2007. Um, I had to I had to take some time off. to go and refuel the tank. So, you know, as people pleasers, we really need to sort of put this, these boundaries around ourselves and, and have this sort of um, stop sign when we need it so that we don't deplete ourselves because we can only be good to others when we're good to ourselves first. Interesting, interesting. Because I didn't think of myself as a people pleaser until my wife, I mean, we've been married six years and together for almost 10, pointed out to me these things. And you know, you usually operate automatically and you don't know that you're doing it. And of course, there are so many automatic functions that when she pointed it out and I got that self-awareness around, I was able to untangle myself a little. 
So it's interesting you brought that up uh, about your parents because this was many years ago. I was, re- I was doing personal development and I worked out that every decision that I was making was almost like I, I had to go through a pipe where um, you know, the, what my parents approved of would go through the top of the pipe and there was a kind of a, you know, a, a board through the middle of the pipe and everything that they didn't approve of had to go at the bottom. And it was kind of like, if it was a little thing, then I would just, it would just fly through my parents approved of that or didn't approve. Right. But if it was a big thing, it was like really squishy and I had to squeeze it through. And so um, I remember getting that awareness all those years ago. And I realized, Oh my God, everything I'm doing is just going through my parents approval system that I had in my head. And so once I kind of got rid of the pipe, um, I found myself um, a lot more liberated. I didn't need to be um, doing everything under their kind of whether they did or did not approve. It's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting, Tony. You know, as I said, my people pleasing started super early. Like, in fact, as as early as I can remember, you know, I would, uh, as a young girl, you know, my my parents had a little canteen, and I would work all day. You know, it was hot. It was summer holidays. I was probably eight or nine. And, you know, I would work all day and my mum and dad would say, go and take a break. And I'd go, I'm okay. You go and have one first. I'm good. I'll just keep going. And I'd work all day, all day, all day. And then I'd get home in the evening and I'd count all the money because, you know, a, a, a canteen where kids are buying lollies and ice creams. And maybe I was a little bit old, maybe I was 10. And I would then sit there all night and count the money and bag it all up for my for my parents. And, you know, I would say, uh, I would hear my dad say, you know, oh, she's just such a great worker. You know, she goes all day. You know, she's my worker by day and my bank manager by night. And he'd laugh about that. And that made me, I, he didn't need to say he was proud of me. I knew he was. So, you know, it started so young. And then I'd go to work with him on work sites and I'd work all day. I'd lug bricks and I would... I'd pick up sticks and I'd get the shovel and I would, you know, I'd actually get up in the dark with him and go to work. And I used to sit in the front seat of the, you know, the, um, his, his little truck and I'd work all day with him. And, you know, I was this tiny little thing. I, I've, I was always little and, you know, curly blonde hair and, you know, had brown jeans and a brown jumper and a dirty face. And, you know, and even back then I needed his approval. So, you know, people would say, oh, Frank, you know, what do you want us to do now? Should we do this? And he'd go, I don't know, ask the boss, she's over there. And he'd point to me. And that was me getting approval that I was doing a good job. So this started so young for me and it has lived with me through my entire, entire life. And even in my CEO role, you know, for me, it was about pleasing everyone. It was about pleasing my, my people. It was about pleasing my boss. It was about pleasing my family when I got home. And, you know, my my EA then would say, you know, things, they'd say, she'd say, Cole, you know, um, you've been invited to a dinner Friday night, but you've already got something on with your husband. He said, okay, oh no, it's fine. I'll do both. Cool. You've been invited to speak at this event next week, uh, but you've got something else on. It's cool. I'll make it happen. Uh, You know, so I would just say, yes, 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 yes. Until I couldn't say yes anymore. Until I walked in the door uh, and said to my husband in 2007, I'm done. They were my words because I'm quite an all or nothing kind of person. I, uh, I, I go as a red Ferrari, or I pull into the pits. There's there's no sort of no two paces for me. So, you know, in 2007, after being this people pleaser from the age of eight, um, at 37, I was burnt out because I've been that people pleaser for that long. So, uh, you know, in my book, I share with with women, um, you know, what happened and and how it happened and how to avoid burnout. And 
I don't want people to be on that crazy train to burnout. I want them to realize those signs along the way so they don't end up where I was, where I had to take nearly four months off to pop that red Ferrari into, you know, uh, be refueled and, and get in for a service and change its tires and do all those things I hadn't done for my entire life. So it's a really, really interesting one and, and one you just too many people suffer from today and, and we need to change that. I'm absolutely sure with people listening to this, what you just said there, it would really resonate with them. Now that I'm self-reflecting on what you said, I'm, I'm curious because you had quite a unique foundation layer that others would go, well, no wonder that she would be the CEO of Suzanne and sports girl. I mean, um, you, you had that background. That's what, you know, that's what fired her up and who she naturally is. But in the end, that took you to a dead end and you had to reheal, trace your steps and restart. So I guess because you, you rebuilt, did you hop into another Ferrari or did you kind of like switch to a more comfortable SUV that was hybrid electric? Because at the end of the day, you had more energy than you had in the beginning. So obviously you must've made some changes. What did you actually do? Yeah, it's a super question. And, and, I'm still that red Ferrari. Um, I, I, that is my make and model. And, um, you know, sometimes I wish I wasn't, but I am. You know, that is who I am. I love, I love to be in the fast lane all the time. I, I love to, you know, I'm an overachiever. One of my values is achievement. I'm an achievement junkie. You know, so I, when I came back after burnout, and I had three children when I had burnout. I had a, a three-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 10-year-old. Um, when I came back from burnout, uh, and, and I do say burnout was a gift, it was probably the best lesson in self-care I ever had. Um, so I'm still the red Ferrari. I just need to um, drive the car differently, I suppose. And I need to um, do things I'd never done before, which was, as I said, fill the tank, pull into the pit, service, do an e grow, a grease and oil change when it needs, you know, none of those things I had done. So, you know, I, when I, I came back after burnout, I actually went straight into a CEO role. So I went from burnout and taking nearly four months off to going into the CEO role of Suzanne, but I lived my life differently. So I did a few things. And some of these tips are in my book as well is I got myself a coach. Um, I set boundaries, which I had never, ever set before. I had no boundaries. My life was a life of no boundaries. I learned to say no. And that was really hard for me. And even still to this day, um, I'm more comfortable with saying no, but I'm much more comfortable with saying yes. So I have to work really hard at saying no. And then I had to build in sort of this program of self-care to myself. I had to, you know, have a start and a finish time instead of just thinking that this Ferrari could go around the tr track 24 hours a day. Um, you know, I had to have an out of office time. I had to communicate my, you know, priorities to people. So I really had to start to live my life differently. And um, one thing I did, Tony, which I still live by today and in my mentor sessions with my women, I, I work a lot with them on this is I have this 80-20 rule in my life. And this came from burnout because, again, I didn't have it beforehand. But I have this 80-20 rule where my life needs to be in balance at 80-20. I don't believe and I don't, I don't like the term work-life balance. I don't believe life fits into two neat little boxes. One is work and one is life. I think they have to both coexist together. And so from burnout, I came up with two things. One was this 80-20 rule, which is 80% of my life needs to be in balance. 
and um, with all of those things I just spoke about. And 20% can be chaotic. And I love that because a red Ferrari needs a bit of chaos in their life. You know, it can't be all smooth sailing because chaos brings resilience and energy and excitement and new thinking. And so I love that balance for me. And I know when my life is an imbalance, when it starts to tip a little bit, things don't start to work as well. And so I know I need to add change or delete something to get that balance back. And I work a lot with women on that is what is their life in balance? And just because mine's 80-20 doesn't mean everyone's is 80-20. Some people might be happy with a 50-50 balance and that's okay. It's whatever works for you. But all I say is know when the scales start to tip and add, delete, or change something because we need to be fueling our tank to live our best life. We really, we just do. Okay, so you're a free agent now. You come to the end of your tenure. You got to a logical point of moving on from a role that you ident- that I actually identified you. And, could, and I can tell that you, you have some great plans and opportunities and you can contribute a lot more to more women and people now with what you're doing than when you're actually a CEO um, in the role that you were before. So what was it, you know, that or more like where, what were the ingredients or circumstances that made you say that, all right, I think my time is done here. The company is in a certain shape. How did you know when to make that decision and transition to the next phase? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great one. I, I think, you know, when you sort of get to 10 years, you're at 10 years when you, and it doesn't happen that much these days, right? But 10 years, and then you go, oh, I'll get to 15 years. And then, oh, I'm nearly at 20 years. I'll stay for 20 years. And I'm a very loyal person. I've had two jobs in my whole life. Of course, I've moved through the corporate ladder, but I had the first job I ever got at 16, which was just jeans. And then I've been in the sports girls, you know, Suzanne role. So I'm a very, very loyal person. And for me, it was, you know, I hit that 20 year and the same time I was turning 50. So there were two pretty big milestones for me happening in my life. And I think at that point, it was time to do some self-reflection. And and so for me, it was, I want some change. I'm ready for the next chapter in my life. And Um, To be honest, Tony, I took the 12 months, I was taking 12 months off. That's what I'd actually planned to do. I wanted to do some travel. I wanted to write my book, which I was really passionate about. Um, You know, I wanted to do my passion projects, which, you know, I'm on the board of a few charities, um, which I'm really connected to. So I wanted to do things that refueled that tank again and really made my soul sing. And then COVID hit. And I this, I this was right at the start of COVID and I've gone, oh, okay. And, and funnily enough, I was one of those people that actually enjoyed COVID um, because I'd been that Ferrari going faster and faster. And I was still a Ferrari. I've been that my whole life, as I said. So um, I was going faster and faster. And now all of a sudden I'd got off and I was in COVID and I had all this time. And one of the things people talk to me about all the time is I don't have time. And so what was I going to do? And it was really interesting. Mentor Me and this whole mentoring program, which has just been phenomenal, came out of COVID. I had all of these women, particularly women, ringing me, Cole, I've been made redundant would be the words they would say to me. I've been made redundant. And I would say, you haven't been made redundant. Your role's been made redundant. But let's talk that through. Uh, But I would have women. I've been made redundant. Um, I'm locked in a house with my husband and three kids and I didn't realise how much you know, I didn't want to be here. And I'm in a job that I really don't like. And it's taken COVID to make me realize that or, you know, all of these women calling me. And so out of that, 
came Mentor Me for Women. So that was kind of another gift um, that allowed me to start mentoring women. And one of the things, Tony, I've had, as I said, I got a coach when I had burnout and coaches are fabulous. You know, they are amazing. And you know my coach, um, Shanna Kennedy, who's one of my very, very good friends. We've been best friends for, well, we're best, you know, very really good friends and we've been friends for 17 years now. So, but, you know, coaches are fabulous. And if you can get one, go and get one. Um, you know, they are not everyone can afford a coach, right? So I wanted to make mentoring affordable and accessible for all women. And I had all of this knowledge and expertise. And, you know, as I worked up the corporate ladder, it was, you know, uh, supporting and inspiring, empowering more and more people. And so now in my world, I had the same opportunity. So Mentor Me Women came about because I said, well, I want to make mentoring affordable and accessible. How can I do that? So I do groups of mentoring with women. And so... You know, that was really the gift for me that came out of, of COVID. And, you know, I never say never. I never say I'm not going to get back into a CEO role because I get lots of calls about that as well. Um, but right now I'm just loving this space that I'm in. I'm, I'm wanting to enjoy this part of my book. You know, we put all this work into writing a book and now I want to enjoy it. I want to share it with people. I want to be at events and talk to them about it. I want to put my arms and give some, you know, gorgeous lady a hug that's read my book and it's helped change her life, you know. So for me, right at the moment, I'm in the happiest place I've probably ever been in my life, you know, because I'm doing all of these things that really, really make my heart sing. So, so we're kind of, we're not near the end of, the t- of time here, but um, I hate to miss out on something that you you thought we might cover and we haven't come across it yet so is there anything that um through this conversation that you go oh we we never talked about this and you'd like to share with us Mm -hmm. two things okay um the first one is you know i talk in my uh, share in my book around the power of leadership as i said a chapter and i believe that kindness is the new superpower for leaders and I'll talk about superpower in a minute because that's the second thing but there is this what I believe is this old era of leadership and and you know if we look up the word leadership words that come up are you know dictatorship and power and status and and domination and all of those words and you know those words are never words that have ever inspired me Um, as a leader the words I love are kindness and compassion and authenticity and collaboration and trust and that's the way I've lived my life And I really, really want leaders that pick my book up and read it to read that chapter Um, and the chapter of kindness and the chapter of leadership, because I believe that is the superpower. And when I talk about kindness, I, I want to be really clear about what I mean. It doesn't mean that we don't have rules. It doesn't mean that we don't have Um, you know, make people accountable. It doesn't mean that we accept underperformance. It doesn't mean that we have no boundaries. It doesn't mean any of that. Of course, being a leader, you have to have all of those things to be a successful leader. But what it does mean is setting clear examples for people and setting clear expectations. It means giving honest feedback. It means building human connection. It means treating people like people. It means pushing people outside of their comfort zone. You know, kindness is courageous. Kindness is not a weakness. And I really want people to move in this new era of leadership, which is kindness. So that's that's one, one part of what I really want my message to be about. Um, the other one is that, and again, I talk in my book, there's another small chapter on it, is that 
everyone has a superpower. And in fact, you might even have two. And I, I tell a bit of the story about my superpower in my book and how I, I came about that. And this was years ago. You know, I was a really a little girl. I, I was probably in my six or seven or eight. And I used to have this reoccurring dream every night that I would fly. And we lived in this brown brick house. As I said, everything back then was brown in the 70s. And I would dream that I would fly in the stairwell every night in this brown brick stairwell. And I would, I, I would kept saying to my mum, do you know, I can fly. And, you know, it was yes, 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 over breakfast, another story, another story. And then one morning I said, oh, I flew last night. I, I flew again. I just love flying. And my mum said to me, that's your superpower. And I thought about that. And it was my superpower to fly, but not in that sense. My superpower was to fly. It was to fly as high as I wanted to fly in life. It was to spread my wings as far as I wanted them to go. Uh, it was to soar through, so through whatever it was in life that you know, came my way. So my superpower was to fly. Um, and in my book, I encourage every woman to find their superpower. And it's this uniqueness. It's, it's what's within us. We don't need to make it up. It's there. We don't need to try and make up a story around our superpower. And, you know, mine today, I believe, is to inspire. I believe that's my superpower today. My world, no matter what, what I'm doing, is to inspire people to you know, live their best life, live this life of fulfillment and passion and purpose and really live by their values. So, um, yeah, there are two things in my book that I'm really, I mean, I'm passionate about all of it, but, you know, two things I'm super passionate about. Mm, that's yummy. Yeah. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. So kindness, because we meet a lot of people in business. We all meet a lot of people in life. Mm. Have Is that something that's innate in you that you, you have the propensity to be kind? You, you just, you know how to get to, you know, what's kind and not unkind. And, and if someone doesn't have kindness there, I don't know why it pops into my head, but you know, like a, a John Cleese 40 towers kind of, um, boss, um, who, who is, uh, is hilarious, but it's, it's also like, is it something that can be taught? Is it something that can be, that people can transition and be kinder? And therefore, that's all it means and needs that you just need to be a little kinder than you were before. Or how does, because there are some leaders who are not, they're tyrants. They, they rule with a very um, strong fist and arm. Um, what's your, what, what, you've obviously spent a lot of time thinking about this and, and contemplating it. What have you kind of observed? Mm. Yeah, I think all of that is true. I think there's two parts to it for me. I think one is kindness started in the home and the other part is I became a leader by design and part of that design was kindness. And, I, and I'll talk a bit about both of those. The, the first part is, you know, I, I my parents, as I say, I credit my parents for a lot of who I am today and the leader I am. And I had this Italian father who was very tough and strong and had great work ethics. And, you know, if you sat down, you were lazy. And, you know, he had finished school at 14 and had two jobs and, you know, is now a property entrepreneur. You know, he, he came out to Australia when he was four years of age with nothing with his parents. So his, his thing was work, work hard. And then I had my mum who also worked hard, but she was one of 12 children. 
and her own mother died when she was 20. So um, she had this very different upbringing and one of nurture, you know, she had younger siblings. And when her mother died, I was just a baby. I was one and, and my brother was two. And so her whole life was about nurturing and caring for people and kindness. And she still is today. I talk about her as the Mother Teresa of the world. You know, so I had this really interesting and beautiful upbringing where I had this tough man that was these really strong work ethics. And then I had this mother who was this Mother Teresa of the world. And so I believe I got genes and habits of both of them. So the kindness came from, from my upbringing, I believe. But then I think the kindness came from me witnessing what sort of leader I did and didn't want to be. And from a very young age, Tony, I've been very intrigued about why people behave the way they do. You know, why do some people treat, um, you know, others with kindness and respect and others step over people for their own gain? You know, why are some people cruel and some people kind? Why do some leaders create environments of collaboration and others environments of fear? So throughout my career, and I started, as I said, 16 years of age on the shop floor, I've become a leader by design and I've created the leader I wanted to be. I've created the kind of leader I wanted to follow and I've become a leader people choose to follow. And there's a lot of leaders out there that people do what they say because they're in a leadership role or because they're the boss. Um, but to get the best out of people, you have to be a leader that people choose to follow. So for me, kindness started to become part of my repertoire, starting from my upbringing, but because I saw being kind to people, how that resonated and how that translated into performance. You know, it's like a currency. Kindness is a currency. We trade it for performance. Um, you know, as I said, it doesn't mean people don't have boundaries and rules, but, you know, I became, you know, as I said, my, the cover of my book is leader by design, double-edged sword. I'm a leader by design because I've worked in the fashion industry for 30 years, but I'm a leader by design because I've choose, I've chosen to make myself the leader that I want to be. Mm. So if you were to, um, if we were to get a chance to interview people who work for you, mm -hmm. um, what are they what do they like about that leadership style? What what has resonated for them that um, has has worked for them to to be part of your organisation, part of your team? Uh, I, I'm sure you've got. I have from my for myself here. But what is it about about you and your leadership style? Mm. Yeah, I think there's a number of things. I think you know I talk about the foundations of, of ourselves and. Um, I, you know, um, values and, and purpose and knowing ourselves is the start of being a great leader. Um, and, and, you know, I do a lot of work again with women on that, but we have to have these strong foundations of who we are. So I think being a great leader, you have to know yourself. And I think people would say, Cole really knows who she is. Mm -hmm. And she's very strong on her values and stands up for those values. Um, you know, integrity is one of my values. So it's very important to me. I think that people would say, um, my team would say that, you know, I create a vision um, that people want to follow. But, um, you know, I talk about vision, Tony, you know, vision is, is what we want tomorrow and the next day and, and where we're going, not just for organisations, but our, our lives, you know, our relationships and our, our, our communities and our families. Um, but I always say that it doesn't matter how great your vision is and it doesn't matter how great you communicate it. People follow a leader first and a vision second. 
So we can have the most amazing vision in the world, but unless people want to follow you, unless they believe in you, unless they know that, as I said, if you fall over, if they fall over, you're going to be there to pick them up, unless you create an environment of trust and collaboration and care and kindness, um, unless you create an environment where people feel bigger than just the seat they sit in, um, it doesn't matter how good your vision is. It makes no difference. So I truly believe, and I would encourage leaders to think about that concept, is that people follow the leader first. And so I've always made sure that there's a great vision for people to follow. I always say, no one wants to get on your bus if they don't know where you're going, okay? They want to get on your bus because they know it's going to be a great ride and they're in for it. Um, but they have to want to get on because you're the bus driver. When you think now about the way that fashion and the internet is all changing, um, is there is the industry in turmoil? Is it is it a whole new world? The whole idea of ordering online and ordering three sizes and sending the two back that don't fit um, versus going in store. How do you see? consumers um engaging with fashion and and what you know what what's the road ahead there you've obviously got a lot of experience in that mm. um yeah it's, it is a great question and one that you know a lot of people are throwing around right now and and i think as you said it is a new world we are in a new world it is different to how it's ever been before and you know the internet's been the biggest disruptor we're ever going to see in our lives so it is different but what i always come back to tony is that people connect with your brand way beyond what you sell them. So I believe it doesn't matter whether you're shopping online or in store or wherever else we might shop in the future, um, people connect with your brand. So for me, it's super important. And the brands that are going to survive and thrive in the future are brands that have a, a strong purpose. Um, it's not good enough just to sell people stuff these days. And it hasn't been for a long time. People just probably haven't recognized it. And so we have to connect with our customers on a much deeper level than just selling them something. You know, I think about brands like Nike. You know, Nike says, if you have a body, you're an athlete. So that is everyone in this world. You know, they believe that everyone is an athlete. They're not selling you something. They're selling you a dream. You know, I think Dove is another incredible example of an incredible brand that people connect with. They talk about, you know, beauty being this, this sense of confidence rather than this sense of anxiety. You know, Sports Girl is an incredible brand. They talk about creating, you know, this, this place where young women feel empowered to be themselves. So, um, you know, the brands that are going to survive, and I think we've seen a bit of that through COVID, you know, the brands that were thriving and doing well, you know, have continued to do that. And the brands that weren't doing so well because they didn't have a purpose, they didn't know their meaning, they didn't know why they did what they did. You know, it's not, it's not what we do, it's why we do it. And why does anyone care? They're the ones that, the ones that haven't done that are the ones that are going to fall away. Exactly the same for leaders. You know, during this whole COVID thing, I was, you know, mentoring a number of leaders and, you know, there were some that were sitting there with their hands and they head going, I don't know what to do. And then there were others that were saying, I need to get my team together. I need to empower people to make decisions. I need to call on everyone for their expertise and we can get through this together. So again, you know, people... Um, pe people go high or they go low and um, that then determines what outcome you have. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, I have um, the book Leader by Design, Colleen 
Callender, former CEO of Sportsco, be empowered to lead with confidence in business and in life. It is hot off the press and you can get it in your local bookstore or online. And it is a, it's a beauty. It's, it's, it's a book that you can, I kind of, when I open it up, Colleen, I can, you can almost just open up on a page and go take risks and fight for what you believe in. And that's almost like, I don't know, maybe picking some tarot cards or something or um, whatever you do to get a, a little bit of insight, some, some um, runes. Um, and you go, that's the, that's what I need to read today. D do you feel that that it's not like you better start from page one and make your way through because, um, you, you know, that's the only way you're going to get to uh, be a leader by design. Would that be correct? I love it that you've mentioned that because that is exactly what I wanted it to be. Um, it's not a book that you start at the start and go to the end and you read through it. It is very interactive. And as you would have seen, Tony, there are places where you can write things. There is a spot you can find your superpower. There's a place where you can start to work out what kind of leader you want to be, what you need to add, change or delete to become that leader. It is very interactive, but it is also when you go to the index um, and the chapters, you can say, mm, what, do I, what do I want to do today? Um, do I want to read the power of self or do I want to read the power of culture? It was really interesting. I was doing my mentoring a group last night, group of women. And at each start of our mentoring session, we start with something positive that's happened throughout the week or something they've implemented from the previous mentoring session and everyone shares. And one of the gorgeous ladies on there said, the positive thing that happened this week to her was that she had her first day off in 35 days. And I was like, wow, okay. And she has purchased my book and I know that. Uh, and so I said to her, I, and I won't say her name, I said to her, what I want you to do tomorrow is go straight to the chapter of self. I want you to bypass all the other chapters and go straight there. Um, because it will talk to her about refueling her tank and why doing 35 days straight is not good for her. So you're absolutely right, Tony, that the book is you can go anywhere you'd like in it, depending on how you're feeling on the day or, or you know, what you, what you want to focus on for that week. So, yeah, it's very much a book that I don't want someone to read it and put it in the, in the cupboard. I want people to share it. Um, I want people to leave it, you know, put it next to their bed and, you know, pick up and, and just go to whatever chapter they're feeling that they want to connect with in that particular moment. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really glad that you said that because that's absolutely what my, my um, you know, my thought process was when I wrote the book. Mm. Colleen, you've, you've, this is, and to those that are listening, um, there's a lot of books out there on leadership, as we all know, but this is a been there, done that leadership book. Colleen has led a large company, large companies, different people, um, and and she has she has distilled what she's learnt, um, condensed it down into into some pages where we can practically um, go through them and unpack perhaps some of the things and traits that we have or we aspire to be a leader. So this is a bit you know cheat. Use Colleen's book, right? Because <laughs> she's done it and she's put it all in here for you to fast track to, to a leadership role. And even, it doesn't mean that you're gonna be the CEO. It could be a small team of people and, and you wanna just bedazzle the rest of the company with what you're doing um, and that they all look to, to you and your, your team that, um, that you inspire them um, 
to do better, to to stretch themselves. And so congratulations on on ticking another box off um, and um, for you know for a Ferrari driver like you uh, to stop in the pits for that long to write a book like this um, it took a lot of patience and will and persistence and and seriously congratulations on everything thank you so much there's such kind words thank you so much i really appreciate it yeah so we look forward to seeing your book on the bestseller list really soon and as i said everyone go out and buy it um and of course um you can look up colleen uh, if you're looking for a mentor uh, this is a great, um, this has been a great kind of insight, perhaps the way that she operates and that you go, oh, I'd like to, I'd like to kind of get a little bit more intimate with, with regard to what I'm doing. So by all means, um, use the internet and reach out. She's there and she's, she's got her open for business sale, um, sign on right now. So um, we look forward to hearing over the next 10 years what mischief you get up to next. Thank you so much. Thank you again. All right. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.